You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everyone and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to the show this morning. Good morning, Alex. How are you? I'm keeping well. Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to our listeners. And good morning, Daniel. How are you doing? Are you uh, with us or with us? It's hard to tell with my glasses on. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm here. It's oh. nice to be here as well. Excellent, excellent. So, how is everybody's week? Alex, how's the Spanish station going? I'm sure um, that's going uh, hot and heavy right now with all your work on it. Uh, yes, it, it's progressing really well. In fact, actually this weekend, I was here at the station and we also had an Italian Advent retreat for our Italian supporters and listeners. So it was nice to um, mix it up a little bit over the weekend for myself because I came in on Sunday to work on some Spanish material as well. So I uh, got a bit of all, got a bit of every language, everything today, <laughs> all the languages everything that you're weekend, exposed so to. It was good. Was that something you sort of partook in, or were you working on? You well, I was helping to produce the uh, produce the the produce the event. The produce the event. Yeah. So, so it wasn't a peaceful time. It was a a work time. Well, it's always a peaceful time here overall. Oh, really? But, well, that's uh, great to hear. At least for me, you know, I I, I try to make sure I put. Uh, include obviously God in what I what I do, so that I'm able to do it in a peaceful manner. And it comes from the right spot. Yes. Oh, that's that's actually you know that's a very good segue to what I'm going to be talking about in a sec. But um, I will let you know that today's show is live. Our number is 416-245-1534. You can reach us on our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at the Health Hub RMC. And uh, email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. And I'd like to thank everybody that emailed us last week. Um, the music show with Maria Faye was uh, a popular one. And we got uh, a few people responding. And uh, it was great. You know, the response was about I had no idea, which is just exactly what we're trying to do here on the show is to introduce you to new ways of thinking, to new technologies, to new therapies. So great to hear that um, our intentions are being manifested. So you can uh, subscribe to our podcast. Each and every one of our shows is flipped over to a podcast. We are the Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. You can also find our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is www radiomaria.ca and on my website which is www.kathybiasse.com and please leave us um, a nice review if you like what you hear. As I mentioned our show last week was uh, a popular one The Power of Music with Maria Fay, and it is up and ready for you to listen to so so do take a listen it's, uh, it's quite informative. So I wanted to talk briefly before we get into our show on uh, type 1 diabetes, which is uh, a topic that we have not broached yet on the show. So I'm really looking forward to getting lots of great information on that topic. But we are heading right into the heart of holiday season. And with that comes posts about uh, how to not gain weight over the season, advice about what to do when you go to parties so that you don't eat or drink too much. And um, it's a concern for many. I mean, it's a time of year where we sort of throw caution to the wind and, you know, we meet with family and friends uh, more than we do during the year. That's uh, that is the trend. But um, there, you know, there there are great tips out there, you know, on how to go about this process, but I wanted to um, approach this from a different angle. So the ideal, of course, is to enjoy 
the season with family and friends. But sometimes the ideal is much different than the reality. You know, on our minds is gift giving, thinking about gift giving, cooking, baking, decorating, preparing for guests, and also in the workplace, you know, trying to meet deadlines. It is a very, very busy time for people in the workplace. People want things done by year end. So it, it, it really goes on and on this, uh, this time of year. How much stress can be involved around the holiday season? And the truth is, is that very stressful times can actually lead to weight gain itself. So I don't often hear this underscored when we're talking about how to avoid weight during the holiday season. But what I wanted to do was, um, you know, give you a second reason to approach things mindfully, like Alex alluded to a, a little bit ago. Try and find meaning in what you're doing and, um, and, and try and understand that it is supposed to be a happy season. But I wanted to give you, uh, without bogging you down in, in details and complexity, the connection between stress and weight gain. So the hormone cortisol, which we've talked about many times before, rises during stressful times. This causes the release of stored glucose to enable you to react quickly. So basically what your body is doing is preparing you to to get into action. So glucose is released to give you energy, and this in turn triggers the release of insulin. And because when you are on, you know, acute, acute um, stress is the same process happens, but then it's calmed down. But when you are constantly under this stress, the cortisol is constantly flowing, which was uh, resulting in the constant release of insulin stream. And what happens is the body to protect itself will hide this insulin and store it as fat. And this is what can lead to weight gain. So the moral of this story is turn some holiday rushes into holiday times that you can find meaningful experiences, turn on holiday music, plug in your essential oil diffuser, stick to your regular sleeping pattern, but above all, chisel out some time to enjoy the season and find meaning into what the holiday truly means for you. So I hope that gives you a a different angle on why we should try and, and keep our stress under control double-edged sword, this stress thing. So on to our show today. Our guest today is Dr. Jody Stanislaw, and she received her naturopathic doctorate degree from Bastyr University, one of the top holistic medical schools in the United States. Using natural health treatment modalities, she has helped hundreds of patients transform their health from flailing to fabulous. Dr. Jody is not only well-trained professionally, but at the age of seven, she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, which has driven her to become an expert at teaching and inspiring others to healthy living. She is a unique physician because she not only focuses on improving physical health, but also ensures her patients have tools for living with emotional peace and joy. She considers herself a professional health nut and loves to help others experience the ecstasy, ecstasy of healthy living. In September of 2017, Dr. Stanislaw gave a TEDx talk entitled Sugar is Not a Treat, which has had over 450,000 views. She has a virtual practice and works with patients all over the world. Our learning points today, among many, will be what is the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes? What is the role of insulin in balancing blood sugar? And what is the healthy way to manage our blood sugar? And we will be back after a few minutes.
are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Our number is 416-245-1534 if you would like to call in today for any questions that you might have. Again, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at the Health Hub RMC, and feel free to email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. Good morning, Dr. Stanislaw. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you. It's yes, our, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's our pleasure to have you. Um, it's it's a topic, as I mentioned at the show, top of the show, we haven't uh, broached here on the Health Hub, and I don't think there's a better person to talk to about it than you because your approach is so unique and it's so meaningful <laughs> and hopeful. So I'm really looking forward to getting into the meat and potatoes of this. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really um, honored for the opportunity because type 1 is so poorly understood and and um even doctors which i'll get into uh don't have a real grasp of, of really what is necessary to to help patients with type 1 diabetes well you you um had type 1 diabetes diagnosed at the age of 7 which is actually for me a learning point i maybe we could get into that right at the top maybe you could tell us about um your journey through type 1 diabetes how you have evolved but Obviously, this is not something that you are born with unless your diagnosis at the age of seven was something that you had been struggling with all your life. So maybe clarify those points for me. Sure, sure. No, I'm happy to. And any question is, is so many people like, they, they often tell me like, oh, I'm so sorry, I don't know this already. But the reality is nobody does. So it's, it's any true. question is, is fair game. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, so many people think type two, you get where you're older and type one, you're born with. And actually, neither one of those statements are true. Um, I've never heard of anybody being born with diabetes, type 1 or type 2. Um, type 1 is an autoimmune disease. And most autoimmune diseases, well, all autoimmune diseases have, have some sort of genetic link, but there's a huge environmental cause. The, the problem is that with many autoimmune diseases, the exact environmental causes and genetic, you know, the whole you know, cocktail of what causes it is just not clearly understood. I don't know why I have type one. There's theories. People don't know why they have MS. People don't know why they have lupus. People don't know why they have rheumatoid arthritis. All these environmental diseases or autoimmune diseases um, have a huge uh, connection to environmental triggers. And yet the exact combination of what those environmental triggers are is not known. Um, I wasn't breastfed very long. I lived in Seattle, so my vitamin D was low. Um, I had tubes in my ears, so that's probably a sign of gut inflammation and food allergies. So all these kind of things are theories. Um, you know, a weakened immune system being a key one. Anybody with a recent viral infection as a child has a higher risk of, or um, well, 30% of type 1s have had a, a viral infection um, prior to diagnosis and a few months prior to diagnosis. So something in the environment uh, most likely triggers these autoimmune conditions. So I don't think there's any autoimmune disease that you're actually born with. Um, now, it used to be called juvenile diabetes because the majority of people that got this disease were, you know, were children. And it was, you know, so it's very common. I, uh, you know, I had a friend that was four years old, seven years old, nine, 10, 11, 12. But interestingly, um, given the rise, in my opinion, of things in the environment that are not serving to to benefit our immune system, um, over 50% of type 1 diabetics are now over the age of 30. So, you know, we didn't see that 10 years ago. The majority were, were children. Diagnosed so, over the age of 30? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have patients that are getting diagnosed at the age of 40, 50, any age. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, now, you're talking mm-hmm. about... Um, um, autoimmune disease. Now, maybe you could clarify that before I get into um, asking you questions about the actual functionality of what type one diabetes mm-hmm. is. But let's let's go layer mm-hmm. by layer and and maybe um, mm-hmm. re-explain to everybody what exactly an autoimmune disease is. Yep, it's when the immune system gets triggered to attack self. So my immune system, for some reason, decided one day I was super healthy, happy, running around as a kid, you know, seven years old, and then I kind of just got pretty sick overnight and I got really thirsty and I was losing weight and I was wetting my bed and I was hungry and felt lethargic. And suddenly my, um, my ability to make insulin just kind of 
um, over the next few months stopped. To be honest, um, the the attack on the immune uh, the, the attack by the immune system it was attacking the cells that make insulin in my pancreas. So uh, at diagnosis, I probably had about twenty percent of my cells left, and within next year, my cells went to zero. And no so symptomology this, up until that point. It just happened overnight. Uh, the symptomology comes at about 20% left of cells. But yes, oh. you can have, I could have had 50% of my cells left and not had symptoms because the body, you know, the body's incredible. The body can really overcompensate when it's in trouble. And so my cells were probably working overtime to try to, you know, keep my blood sugar level normal. And then eventually it just, you know, it hit its breaking point. Interesting. Okay, so you touched a little bit on functionality. So let's, let's really get into to what that is, what type one diabetes is, uh, uh, you know, the functional issues that this rises. Sure. Everybody needs insulin. And insulin's job is to take the glucose out of your blood and feed it to your cells. So let's say you have an apple, let's say you eat oatmeal, let's say you have a piece of bread, you eat rice, a potato, or, you know, classic sugar. Any of those things, doesn't matter if it's healthy sugar, unhealthy sugar, those things get digested into glucose. Glucose is then absorbed into the bloodstream. And insulin is a necessary piece to take that glucose out of the bloodstream and feed it to your cells. Without insulin, your cells don't get fed and you have a dangerous level of glucose circulating in your bloodstream. And too much glucose in your bloodstream acts like shards of glass circulating through your bloodstream, if you will, for a vivid image. Mm-hmm. Um, it really rips apart the inside of your arteries. So it, too much sugar in your blood through the years. Um, and this doesn't happen if you just have high blood sugar level for one minute. But if you have high blood sugar levels for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, much higher risk of blindness, heart disease, kidney failure, strokes, Alzheimer's connective tissue disorders, and more. So too much sugar in the bloodstream is very damaging. So I don't make insulin. I don't make my own insulin. So I've been on daily insulin injections since I was seven years old. And every time I eat, I do a shot. Um, There's also insulin pumps where people, you know, manage their insulin through a a pump. But basically, if I'm going to eat an apple, I need insulin. If I'm going to have a latte, I need insulin. If I'm having breakfast, lunch, or dinner, I need insulin. And so it's, uh, there's no... People ask me, oh, you've had it for so long now, Dr. Jody. Isn't it just second nature? And I thought, well, you know, oh, you've been alive for so long. Isn't life just second nature? (laughs) 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 Yeah, it's funny what some people, you know, I I know when I got sick, it was, was, you know, you look back on some of the things people say and it's it's what's comical. But again, I think that comes from not knowing. I mean, that's where these comments... Yeah, no, I don't, I'm not offended at all, but I just give them an analogy of like, it's different every day. You yeah. know, I mean, my blood sugar levels are different every day. Am I going to work out? Am I going to eat a big lunch? Am I going to skip lunch? Am I stressed? Did I gain weight? Did I not sleep well? All those things affect our blood sugar levels. So just to backtrack a bit, insulin is produced in the pancreas. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Just to let people know that function. Now, um, I kind of touched a little bit on it in the intro. So the glucose will continue. So just again, into the, the sort of pathway of what's going on here, the glucose cannot get into the cells. It will continue to circulate and act like these shards of glass in, uh, in your vessels. What happens mm-hmm. to you if you have, say, introduce excess insulin into your body? What happens with that? Okay, great question. So it will take all the glucose that can out of the bloodstream and the blood, you know, needs to, the components of blood needs to be very, you know, very fine tuned and very, very balanced. The body's normally brilliant at doing that. You know, how much of all the blood components are in the, you know, you can't have too much or too little of anything. If you go too low, um, you're literally running out of fuel. I mean, glucose circulating in the bloodstream is a constant fuel source to the brain. Most importantly, the brain is the biggest, um, you, it uses more glucose than any other part of the body, and it needs glucose at every second of the day. Mm-hmm. So as soon as your um, blood sugar level drops too low, um, I get shaky, I get sweaty, I, I get weak, um, I don't think well. If I let it continue, I could literally pass out and have a seizure. Um, and if I let that continue, I could die. 
Like I have, I know people that have died because of low blood sugar levels. You literally are running out of fuel and the brain, you go into, you die. And then with, with too much insulin. So what happens if you mismanage the insulin the other way? What is the reaction? Well, so too little insulin then allows the blood sugar level to do what? It would allow the blood sugar level to drop and this glucose circulates around. The too little insulin would make the blood sugar level go up. Right. So it continues to circulate, not getting into the cells. Right. And so that's when your risk of heart disease, kidney failure, strokes, blindness, all that too much sugar. So it's a fine line. I don't want to be too high because it shortens my life. It raises my risk of cardiovascular disease. I don't want to be too low because I get weak and dizzy and I could pass out. So it's a fine balance. That's why people um, are really basically not there. It's very hard to find a physician who really can help a type one really manage this balance because it's incredibly complex. Well, uh, I want to get to um, the difference really between type 1 and type 2 diabetes before we get into uh, our our break. But I mean, this is the crux of what you're doing. Um, Trying, you know, it's it's not just about managing blood sugar. We get into the diet and the lifestyle and all those things that you touch on that many people don't even have an idea is of relevance when you're dealing with type 1 diabetes. But before that, let's do differentiate type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Um, clearly type, type 1 is an autoimmune condition. The immune system attacked and killed the insulin-producing cells. Um, and I, I do, before I expand on the, the answer of this question, I want to go back and say that everybody's diagnosis is a little bit different. Um, mine came on quite suddenly. It can come on a little bit more slowly, especially adult-onset type 1 can come on a little bit slowly. Um, some adult type 1 patients that I have were actually only diagnosed by lab work so it's, it can be, um, you know, it's, it's not a clear-cut diagnosis, but I wanted to clarify that. Okay. So type 2 is not an autoimmune. There's nothing attacking their cells. There's no immune system problem in type 2. It is a weakness of the insulin-producing cells, very likely due to overuse through the years. And then there's also a weakness of the body to even want to respond to insulin, So insulin has to be produced every time the blood sugar level goes high and anything we overuse gets worn out. So if you are eating McDonald's every day and drinking Pepsis every day and having sugar every day, imagine that stress on your insulin producing cells because that's a lot of stress. That's a lot of work to to manage the blood sugar level with that much intake of glucose. So the cells literally are getting weak and they're, they're just not able to keep up. And on the periphery, when the um, insulin picks up the glucose and then it feeds it to the cells, there's basically a key and lock mechanism where insulin is the key and there's a lock on the cells, if you will, that needs to be opened in order for the glucose to come into the cell. Well, if you overuse either one of those, if you overuse, you know, having to feed the cells, the locks literally just kind of dry up and so you can have all this glucose in your blood and you can have all this insulin circulating but the cells are are ignoring that the insulin the the locks are 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 worn out and that's it's called insulin resistance um so type 2 diabetics have to be on insulin they're on sometimes 10 times more insulin than i would take on a daily basis because they have to oversaturate their body just to get any response from their cells that's interesting. I didn't know that fact. Just a quick question before we go to break. Can insulin resistance be reversed? Yes. Perfect. Okay, that's a great answer. Type 2 can be reversed. Type 2 can be reversed. That's a good positive way to end this because there, you know, type 2 diabetes is just on the rise. And uh, it's such an important yeah. thing that um, we understand the mechanisms because really when it comes to, yeah. to managing Diet, lifestyle, exercise are also vitally important. And when we come back from the break, I really want to get into what differentiates you from the masses when it comes to dealing with type 1 diabetes. So we'll be back in a few minutes.
something more than we could ever imagine. You are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada. A Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. You can also reach out to us on our social media sites, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are the Health Hub RMC, and feel free to email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. So, Dr. Stanislaw, I know we got a lot of information packed into the first half, but I'm really excited for you to share all of the nouveau ways from the standard of care with type 1 diabetes. So, why don't you start with standard of care, and then let's branch out to you. Okay. I just want to add one more piece to the very last statement that I made as type 2 reversible, as insulin resistance reversible. Um, that's a more complicated question, but for the majority of type 2s, it can be reversible based on diet and lifestyle because basically the system is worn out, the locks are worn out, the insulin cells are worn out. The body can heal. The body can, you know, reverse itself, assuming, you know, it, it's not late, late, late stage and there's too much damage that's been done. So I just wanted to add that as a clarifying point. Well, then uh, make it maybe to go a step further than that. Um, when you get to the point where it may not be reversible, has similar damage be, been done to the pancreas, the beta cells, as in type 1 diabetes, or to- two totally different mechanisms? Two totally different mechanisms. There's, okay. no, there's no immune system attack in type 2. Okay, so the beta cells are intact. It's the rest of the issue that, if, that we have no, to worry no, no. about. The, the beta cells are dying off from overuse. They're not being attacked. Okay. So, but they are becoming unfunctional. Yes, exactly. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Good yep. clarification. Yep. Thank you for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So standard of care for type 1 diabetes. Standard of care for type 1 diabetes is, first of all, a lack of enough time, to be honest, face-to-face with training. Uh, type 1 is incredibly complex, and the pieces that are involved with managing blood sugar are very intense. And so they don't... The, Patients, literally, they'll, they'll be in the hospital, maybe, if they're lucky, overnight. Um, I've heard horrific stories of patients being given bottles of insulin and needles and told them, you know, don't eat sugar, now go home, you have diabetes. I mean, there's such a lack of, of time and education. And so standard of care is simply just, uh, it, it's, a, it, it, it's not giving the patients what they need from the get-go. It's not even like I'm providing them, well, and then secondly... Um, the standard diet recommendation, which is shocking, is eat anything you want and just take more insulin. Mm -hmm. You want ice cream? Take more insulin. You want to eat pasta and bread? Take more insulin. You want to drink a Pepsi? Take more insulin. And this is just heartbreaking to me because, sure, yes, I can eat pizza and pasta and drink Pepsi if I want, but there's no way my blood sugar level is going to stay in a healthy range if I do that. I can take insulin and hopefully get the dose right, but um, I likely will not because dosing your insulin correctly when you eat is challenging enough if I eat, you know, a half a cup of quinoa and some chicken and veggies. So let a, so they, they literally, even at diabetes camps, I, I'm on staff at summer camps for kids with diabetes, and that is the standard recommendation. They'll, they'll feed them, you know, pancakes and, and pasta and macaroni and pizza and these kids' blood sugar levels are horrendous, absolutely horrendous. But that is the standard of care. Eat whatever you want and take as much insulin as you need. And how many times a day do um, diabetics have to che- uh, check their insulin levels? Well, we, there's no way we, quote, have to check our... There's, I, I check my blood sugar level. Blood sugar, my sorry, blood, blood sugar. sugar yeah. that, is, that is the dictating piece. So... Uh, I have a continuous glucose monitor now. So I have a little wire that I insert in my back and I tape it down and I change it every few weeks and it communicates with a little device that I have in my purse. And so at any second of the day now, I can just look at this little device in my purse and it tells me what the luxury level is. So it is, it's a godsend because I've been poking my finger 10 to 15 times a day uh, for the majority of my life. And now I just look at my little monitor. Um, Certain monitors still have to be calibrated. I still, I still end up poking my finger at least 
two to three to four or five times a day. Sometimes the monitors aren't totally accurate, so I want to double check it. Um, but it's a constant, it's constant 24-hour job um, to make sure you know what your blood sugar level is doing. And if you go too high, I like to, you know, do a quick five-minute walk or, you know, jumpy jacks or whatever I can to move my body because uh, movement will help lower the blood sugar. Um, and if I go too low, I need to eat something. So I carry dried apricots or um, honey or, you know, maple syrup by my bed. I always have either insulin with me or glucose with me because I never know if I'm going to go up or down. And I guess, you know, you learn your body as, you know, as you go through the years. But are you trying what? Okay, what happens at nighttime when you go to bed? You're asleep for a long period of time. Is there a concern Mm -hmm during that period of sleep that you have to um, manage your, your glucose levels? Yep, absolutely. Yep. Um, so I prefer eating an earlier dinner to avoid any variables because obviously food digesting is a huge variable. Um, but now if, if I wasn't confident of which way my blood sugar level was going before I got my glucose monitor, uh, my continuous glucose monitor, if I wasn't confident by the time I went to sleep, I would set an alarm to wake me up in the next two hours. Um, insulin, a fast-acting, a mealtime insulin dose can last up to, well, it's very varied, but um, let's say four hours. And so if I gave myself an insulin shot at seven, I, should, I can feel pretty confident that by 11, midnight, that insulin is not going to push me down anymore push the blood sugar level down. That's the risk, right? Going too low while you Mm -hmm. sleep. Um, And then if I just ate at seven, um, I would like to think that my food is fully digested by my, say, midnight. So if I did do a shot and eat by seven, but wasn't going to bed till midnight, whatever number I was at midnight, I'd feel pretty confident that I could, you know, stay pretty flat. But let's say it's, you know, it's the holidays and I have a huge holiday dinner and I have hours of food to digest and I've given myself tons of insulin and then I go to sleep that's a stressful night because I am not confident if, if I've given myself enough insulin. If I don't give myself enough insulin, the blood sugar level goes high. If I give myself too little insulin, the blood sugar level or too much insulin, I, I can go low. So if I'm concerned, I would set an alarm and check. Um, but now with my continuous glucose monitor, it'll just wake me up. It just beeps if I'm too low or too high. Oh, so it is a godsend. So, Now, let's move right into why what you eat and what you do and how you sleep is so important for for proper management of type 1 diabetes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Imagine a breakfast of uh, chia seed pudding, which is very high fiber, very high protein, very low carb. Um, You know, you can soak it in coconut milk, put a little blueberries in there, maybe sweeten it with stevia. That barely moves my blood sugar level, that the risk of me going high is almost nil and I barely need any insulin for that so if my goal is to have this very tight blood sugar control and not going too high or too low chia seed pudding is a really safe and friendly breakfast and frankly so is you know scrambled eggs and maybe just like one small piece of toast or something like that but then think of you know a a bowl of cereal standard American cereal Uh, you know it's a bowl of sugar or even frankly some of these fruit sugar sweetened yogurts with a whole bunch of granola I mean, that, that has five times the amount of sugar than my chia seed pudding does. Um, so our, if our life is, you know, doing well, if we're in range, we should eat foods that make it easy to be in range. So I eat a very whole food, low-carb diet. I eat a lot of vegetables. I eat good proteins. I eat, um, you know, a lot of nuts and nut butters and low-glycemic fruits like blueberries and apples. I'd stay away from, you know, pineapples and mangoes and really high-sugar fruits like that. Um, I don't eat much rice or bread or pasta. Um, You know, my dinners are beautiful dishes of vegetables with some healthy protein. And this is not what the majority of type 1s are taught they should do. Because like I said, the majority of type 1s are taught, oh, just eat whatever you want and and take insulin for it. Well, it's killing them. It's literally killing them. The amount of insulin they need for a high-carb meal could be completely lethal because they have to give themselves so much insulin they might easily overshoot. Um, and the reality is they're eating so many carbs, there's no way the insulin can, can work at the exact same time. I mean, if you drink a Pepsi, your blood sugar level shoots up like a rocket ship. Mm-hmm. Well, insulin doesn't work that fast. 
insulin is a very slow tool that we have. So that sugar level, although I could give the exact amount of insulin that I actually need for that Pepsi to bring my blood sugar level down, but the Pepsi will shoot my blood sugar level up within minutes and then the insulin will need the next hour or two to actually bring it back down. So it, it's just type one should not be eating anything they want. But frankly, I tell families, you know, with newly diagnosed kids, I said, you know, let's not, let's not make this about diabetes. Let's, let's make diabetes an impetus for eating healthy because shouldn't everybody eating, should be eating whole food, low carb. Like this isn't a diabetes issue. Nobody should be eating, you know, honey nut Cheerios and, you know, cookies and Pepsis and, pasta and bread all day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, you're educating when people walk through your front door, this is, must be the first thing you're educating them with. Oh, it's, it's a very complex thing. I work with patients all over the world virtually and I do, I sign them up for a series of phone appointments. So, you know, they really need to understand how their insulin works, how to dose their insulin. That's really first. And then yes, definitely everybody. I have a whole little mini cookbook that I share with my patients and I share all the recipes that I use and um, but I love inspiring people to really be like, hey, let's not feel bad because we have diabetes. Let's be empowered that we have such a strong motivator to eat healthy. <laughs> well, and, and what I think, too, is, is missing. And it's, it's, you know, I've only worked with one person and um, their diabetes was induced by um, a surgery. Uh, and this person became very well managed in not eating particularly well, but managing the insulin level well. And is there a danger with having, um, even if you're managing your blood sugar, is there a danger with having to have this insulin always injected? Or does that matter? Well, too much insulin is inflammatory. I mean, just like anything, um, too much or too little. Alex, I think we may have lost Dr. Stanislaw. Okay. Everybody, I think we just lost uh, Dr. Stanislaw, so we are reconnecting because we're really getting into, um, you know, we're getting into the lifestyle management in our next segment, so I hope we can get her back on, on the air. But it just goes to show you that, you know, no matter what illness you may have or even if you don't have an illness, Paying attention to what we eat is so very important. And, you know, I've learned uh, quite a bit actually just talking on the show. I actually thought that um, people were born with type 1 diabetes, that they were born with just a, a malfunction of their pancreas. But, you know, understanding even even for new moms, for all of us, understanding that this is a disease that can be diagnosed throughout lifetime, I mean, it just makes great sense to understand the pathways of insulin, how to manage your blood sugar. All of this stuff is so very important. And when we get her back, I'm sure we're going to be talking about diet and uh, continuing with the diet and doing lifestyle and exercising because all these are components of not just being a healthy diabetic, but being a healthy person in general. We're going to talk to her about um new developments in understanding type 1 diabetes because I know there is new research coming out and new methods of treatment and we're going to be doing all that hopefully if not you're just going to hear me talking and and, and filling time here with you but um, I'm not sure what's going on at that end so it's interesting when I was doing the um, the intro to the show I actually didn't even equate until we were talking about um, stress and insulin and blood sugar level. So that, you know, tying that piece in the stress with your blood sugar and with understanding how we need to manage blood sugar, all very, very important. I think, oh, I just got the thumbs up from Alex. So Dr. Stanislaw, are you with us? Yes, I am. I'm so sorry. I don't know where we where we got cut off. Oh, me either. And and I'm I'm trying to fill the time. Definitely not as knowledgeable as you, but trying to do a little <laughs> recap for you. So so hopefully uh, when this comes out in a podcast, I don't sound like a uh, uh, well whatever. But we'll just see how this works out <laughs> in our okay. re-listen. So let's get on to. Um, we've talked about diet. What about exercise, sleep, lifestyle patterns? Is that important? Absolutely, everything affects your blood sugar levels. Um, if you're stressed, your blood sugar level is going to go high. Um, if you exercise, your body's going to be more efficient. Your blood sugar level is going to be much better managed. I use exercise even in short bursts all the time. 
Actually, that was interesting. Could you just go back to that? Because you were saying that when your your blood sugar is a little high, you you walk and jump. Why is that? It will bring my blood sugar down faster. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So this will translate to everybody exercising. Absolutely. There you go. Yes. Yeah, walking after dinner has been shown to reduce cardiovascular risk. It's, you know, just listening to you and and my, you know, uh, limited knowledge of type 1 diabetes, it's so so nice to have someone who does sort of a functional and lifestyle, all these components of of a diabetes treatment. And and anybody out there who's listening with type 1 diabetes, it's, it must be refreshing for you to hear that all of these options are open. Um, What else can people do to manage the type 1 diabetes? Any new research to go to? Any new... um, um, apps that are on the phone. I've seen apps on the phone. Anything that mm-hmm. you can gear people toward? Well, to be honest, I if you are listening and you're struggling with type 1 diabetes, please reach out to me. All you have to do is go to my website, um, Dr. Jody ND. I, I provide training that even patients that have had diabetes for decades tell me they've never learned before. So I just have become a science experiment on myself and I have a much deeper understanding of all the fine tunings we have to understand how sleep affects us, how exercise affects us. Some exercise actually temporarily raises your blood sugar level um, because of the adrenaline involved. Uh, mm. For example, many people that are, you know, but of course, I'm not going to tell them not to exercise, mm-hmm. but understanding all the, all the nuances, um, you know, so many patients come to me and they're like, oh my gosh, I snow ski and I, my blood sugar level goes high and they're just frustrated so much. And I, I help them. You know, I bring a lot of knowledge to type ones that they've probably never learned before. So what's new is, frankly, most type ones that are that are listening probably don't know everything they need to know um, because most physicians don't know everything that they need to know, to be honest. Um, so I can work with patients around the world. But new, there's new insulins. There's some, you know, new glucose monitors. There's there's new insulin pumps. There's a closed loop insulin pump. Um not very many patients like it. The concept's brilliant, which is an a insulin pump is connected to a continuous glucose monitor. The glucose monitor tells the insulin pump what the blood sugar level is doing, and then the insulin pump decides for you on when you need more or less insulin. I mean, basically like an electronic pancreas. You know, the, the concept is brilliant. Uh, the reality thus far is there's lots of, you know, issues with the with the whole contraption at this point Mm. Um, but there's a lot more on the horizon in terms of it's called a closed loop Um, many people right now don't have a closed loop which means they wear the insulin pump on one side of their hip they wear their continuous glucose monitor on the other side of their hip and we still have to constantly think all day and make the decisions insulin pumps do not have a brain on their own Uh, many people think they'll say oh Jody why aren't you on an insulin pump and I think well I don't I don't want to be attached to this thing all the time and then final shots and like well then you would have such an easier life if you had an insulin pump. But I thought, well, no, actually, um, there's there's pros and cons to both. There's pros and cons to being on a pump. There's pros and cons to not being on a pump. But you can't just hook a pump on and then think you don't have to think anymore. Mm-hmm. The pump, you have to tell the pump what to do at all times. Um, so the closed loop concept is brilliant, right? Mm-hmm. It, it frees us up from having to think and manage all day. It You wear it. It monitors your blood sugar level for you. It gives you insulin when you need it. It cuts back on insulin when you don't. I mean, that's a dream, but that really hasn't, there's, it's just not quite that simple. Not perfected yet. <laughs> now, what is, what is the mechanism of sleep and managing blood sugar? What's the importance of proper sleep? Well, it's very stressful to the body if, you're, if you don't sleep enough. So um, I have patients that they know that as soon as they don't get enough sleep that night, the next day their blood sugar levels tend to run higher. It oh. just creates more stress in the body. Oh, it, that's a simple. That's a simple explanation for it. I thought it was a, a little bit more convoluted, but okay, easy enough. <laughs> <laughs> now you have given a TEDx talk that has um, garnered a large number of views. Maybe you could uh, spend the the rest of the show here. We have about five minutes or so, talking mm-hmm. about why you talk. The topic of of sugar obviously was important. Your title was "Sugar is Not a Treat." Why has this garnered so much popularity? Why did you pick this subject? And who are you aiming this talk at? Mm. I, it's, it's a tragedy to me how much sugar people eat and how it's become not only so accepted three times a day in the form of 
sugary cereals for breakfast and French fries and bread and chips for lunch and then, you know, pasta and pizza and desserts for dinner. It's heartbreaking when you go to an elementary school and you see how much sugar they're feeding the kids or a birthday party. I'll have parents complain to me that their type 1 diabetic patient or child can't eat all the all the sugar at the birthday parties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll say, do you see what's wrong with this picture? I mean, sugar is sugar is not going to cause type 1 diabetes. Sugar doesn't initiate an, an autoimmune response, but sugar certainly leads to our pandemic of type 2 diabetes. And, you know, if you're like me and you don't have cells that make insulin because you're, they were attacked, or if you're like the other 30 million people with type 2, you know, high blood sugar level is damaging. And we can't be eating all this sugar all day long and think that that's not going to cause major problems. The CDC says in America, if our eating habits do not change by 2050, one in three Americans will have type 2 diabetes. It's a, 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 not to mention the, the amount of money that we are being are spent because as soon as the blood sugar levels start to rise, the rates of blindness, heart disease, kidney failure, stroke, gangrene, all the, I mean, it, diabetes, type 2 diabetes costs millions and trillions of dollars. Yeah, it's a stepping and, stone to other diseases, really. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, high blood sugar level damages the body. It does damage all throughout the body. So, you know, the quality of life, not to mention how much better people feel when they eat better and they're at a healthy weight. You know, it affects every single one of us in terms of what we, how much joy we can, we can experience in our life. I mean, if you eat well, you feel well. If your body's healthy, you feel well. I mean, all these people that are overweight and obese and going through life like this, they don't, they're not at the top of their game. You never can be if you're putting the wrong fuel into your beautiful temple you know, you're you're not getting it at the right fuel you know a car that runs on gas is not going to run on any other thing than what it needs right so yet here we are feeding ourselves with these chemicals and the sugar and these you know all these hormones and and uh it's just it's a tragedy on all levels mm-hmm. i totally agree with you and congratulate you too for such a, a well-received topic it's uh that's it's wonderful to be able to say that you've done a ted talk that has been so well received so congratulations on that thank you yeah it's almost at uh it's at 750,000 views now 750,000 okay i looked at old stats so very good i I mean that's goals for me that's that's awesome i I really do (laughs) congratulate you on that where can people go uh the most convenient place for people go who want to reach out and and talk to you well you know what's really easy is all you have to do is google dr jody um, J-O-D-Y, and all my stuff comes up. But my website is Dr. Jody N-D. So that's D-R-J-O-D-Y-N, as in naturopathic, D as in doctor, dot com. And uh, you can sign up for a free 15-minute phone call with me where I like to just kind of hear what you're struggling with um, and then decide, you know, if working together is a good fit for both of us. Um, I have group calls. I have an annual retreat. I'm doing a women's wellness retreat in Mexico in February. That actually is just something I want to do because it's fun. It's not type 1 diabetes at all. It's for any female. <laughs> Very nice. That's fun. That is fun. Yeah. Kind of a yeah. diversion from the norm, right? We all need yeah. that a little bit. That's great. Yeah. Well, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on to the show. Sorry about that little blip. I'm not sure what happened, but we got out a ton of information. And everybody, do contact Dr. Jody if you need uh, further information. Email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. Dr. Jody, thank you so much for joining us. And we will talk to you, uh, everybody, next week on The Health Hub. Listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi.
here on Radio Maria Canada.